uh, children for Kingdom Kids. I've got teachers, helpers that are going to meet you out in the foyer, taking you across to the uh, CE Center. And as always, parents, remember to pick those kids up right after the service. Take just another moment to pray. I've got some specific uh, things that I want to mention in prayer, lift up together. So would you bow with me? Father, we're uh, asking that you would meet us here as we gather around your word. We're, we are uh, praying, though, for those who uh, can't be here with us. Uh, some, I know, who are, are watching online, and I want to specifically lift up to you uh, Cindy Hungsemeyer. I, I trust that she's perhaps able to be watching right now, but uh, Lord, you know as uh, even better than, than many of us here, knowing the struggle that she has faced with, with MS, the the, the physical uh, challenges, the, certainly the emotional drain, but uh, God, we are thanking you for the, the strength spiritually you have granted to her for so many years, and we're praying that you would sustain her this week in particular as uh, on Tuesday she will have a, a surgical procedure that God, we pray, uh, would allow some more mobility, some uh, greater ability to walk uh, again. Uh, Lord, she is in your hands. Um, Lord, we're, we're, the, the doctors are in your hands, the surgeons. We pray that you would give them such skill and insight, wisdom, ability, and Lord, that you would bring healing to her um, in such a way that would give her the, the freedom to get out of the house, give her freedom to, to get up and around, to give her freedom to, to perhaps even join us in worship. Lord, we don't know what is possible. We just know that you are God of the, uh, of the possible, that you are, that you do impossible things. And so we pray, uh, God, lifting her up to you. Continue lifting up uh, Pam Tauk, uh, the treatment and the tests that are ongoing for uh, her and what seems to be uh, cancer uh, for D. Hickman and the treatment she's receiving. We're, we're lifting them up to you and, and others that are represented in this room who need life and health and strength. Uh, we pray with thanks. We rejoice with our brothers and sisters at Christ Church Sterling, uh, having voted to call a new pastor. We pray your blessing on Brady and Jessica Robinson and their two young children as they will be uh, in process these next couple of months to get moved here and to begin ministry. Pray, God, that you would smooth the way, speed their way here to uh, just make a, 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 we trust, a wonderful impact on this congregation and the, that community for the gospel. Lord, as we've uh, had to talk about some uh, uncomfortable things, Lord, uh, you know, and I say this before these brothers and sisters, we, we don't talk about money a lot. We don't, in one sense, like to do that. I pray, God, not only for the needs of our church that you'd meet these needs, but uh, that you'd meet the needs of every household here. God, we're, it's, let it start uh, from you, blessing your people and bringing in things that, that perhaps we did not expect, blessings that we could not have uh, imagined or hoped for, and out of the overflow, as you care for your people, God, would you uh, prompt us then to return uh, the gifts of just a, a portion of what you have blessed us with. Lord, we're, so we're looking for all of it from you and trusting you for what we need right now. 
the, the, the greater nourishment, the greater strength, and, and frankly, God, the, the truth and the power that, that would make a ministry like this one stand and flourish apart from any dollars. This is where the power is. This is where the truth is. This is where the life is. God, you speaking your word to us, and Lord, by your spirit, make us alive to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Romans 16, the last chapter. We've been in, if you, if you haven't been with us, we've been in Paul's letter to the believers in Rome for pretty much all year, 2022. Started back uh, in mid-late January, working our way slowly through this letter. We're at the last chapter. We'll finish it up next week before our missions festival and then on into an Advent uh, series we'll talk about soon. Romans 16. Many of you are uh, familiar with our good friend, uh, Pastor Chris Bronze, who serves at the Red Brick Church in Stillman Valley. He's an excellent preacher, he's authored multiple books, and it was all the way back in 2013 that he spoke at our, uh, our church family camp. And earlier that same year, he had had a book published called Bound Together. Now, if you read that whole book, like all 10 chapters, the afterword, the first appendix, the second appendix, and then you got to the acknowledgments, and the second page of the acknowledgments, you would read this. He said, I have interacted with so many others about the theological content of this book, Mike Whitmer, Shannon Popkin, Chris Bur- Chip Bernard, uh, Steve Brandon, Bob Bixby, Jeremy Scott, Caleb Kolstad, Lance Menon, Bruce McKenna, Jeremy Carr, Larry Pauly have all encouraged me. Now, some of you might know one or two of those names. Some of you actually know, I know three or four of those names. The rest of them don't mean anything to you. Now, me, I, I know all of those guys to one degree or another. And, and did you hear that? They're at the end. In the part of the book that nobody reads, he said my name. <laughs> That's just like our text today. From the last chapter, Paul's letter to the Romans. Let, the letter's basically over already. It's, it's the part that most of us want to skip. Uh, sounds like just a list of names. One or two might sound familiar. Most of them are just, you know, names of people who we don't know that are dead. Uh, but you know that the first time that this was read, it, for those who were there, it's a big deal if he mentions your name. So here's Romans 16. I'm going to read verses 1 to 16, and then I'm going to jump down and pick up a few more that kind of go along with it. So Romans 16, verse 1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sancre, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and fellow, my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachus. Greet Apellus, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman, Herodian. 
Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Now, I'm jumping down to verse 21. You can see why it goes, kind of goes with this. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sisypiter, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cortus greet you. Now, I'll pick up those verses I skipped next week, but you can see how those all fit together. All those greetings. This is no throwaway part of the letter. This is not the fine print at the, at the end. Uh, not, it's not a throwaway part for Paul, not for those believers, and not for us, because it's about what the church is, about what the church does, and why people matter. Here's the sermon in a sentence. Show appreciation and affection for all those in Christ who serve Him well. Show appreciation and affection for all those in Christ who serve Him well. I, I know I need to do better at that, appreciating people and showing it. Uh, maybe you need some encouragement and get some practice in it too. Here's, here's our opportunity to do this together, all right? We're going to break down that statement into three parts. Show appreciation and affection for all those in Christ who serve Him well, although I'm going to change the order up a little bit. So here's the part one we're going to take, for all those in Christ. Our fellowship includes many different people who are one in Christ. Now, I've been saying this all year that we're, this book of the Bible is really a letter from Paul, the missionary apostle, to the Christian believers in Rome. What's a little clearer in this section is that these believers represent a, what seems to be a network of house churches. So verse 5 is easy to see. Greet also the church in their house. That's apparently only some of the believers represented here. Uh, some of the believers met at the home of Prisca and Aquila, uh, a wife and a husband. We'll talk more about them later. Uh, verses 14 and 15 both list some names and then say things like, and the brothers with them, or and all the saints who are with them. So the total number of believers in Rome is more than those Paul mentions by name, and they are identified in some sense as distinct groups. Some scholars think this is what's going on in verses 10 and 11 as well. Now, the ESV, the translation I'm using, says those who belong to the family of Aristobulus, the family of Narcissus. The Greek is very simply just those of Aristobulus. That could mean of Aristobulus as in the fatherly sense, the biological family, biological descendants. It could also refer to slaves from their household um, or it could be those group that, had, that met at that person's house um, that would be consistent with uh, the rest of the passage as well. Of course, verse 23 is about someone with Paul, not in Rome, uh, who hosts a church at his house as well. Now, okay, house churches. It doesn't mean that's the only biblical way to do church, but it, it is important for us to see that it is that it can be done, and it often does happen 
around the world, uh, groups of believers meeting together in homes. What the, you can do that so long as it's not an excuse for one family to isolate themselves from the rest of the believers, or one person and a group of their close friends, like, well, we're going to fellowship together, and so we can just have our own thing. That's clearly not supported by this text. This, this, Paul addresses all of them, and he expects their fellowship to, to overlap. So that's why I say this is at least something of a network of house churches, not just people doing their own uh, religious thing. Now, to the extent that differences between churches in, say, our own community um, are differences merely of tradition or culture or, or history, we should be able to have fellowship that, that crosses lines of denominations and, and uh, between different congregations. Yes, we should. We should be able to have fellowship in Christ, around the Word, for the gospel. It's where the differences cut uh, deeper in terms of differences in terms of doctrine, differences in terms of, of specifically core doctrine and of what we believe about the, the Lord we proclaim, uh, the Lord we praise, the gospel we proclaim, that's where, okay, we can't necessarily get along. But, but the impulse should be there. We do want unity in the gospel. Now, let's notice some, some more of the ways within these congregations, how they were made up of different people. Perhaps the easiest one to see is that Paul mentions both men and women. Okay, Phoebe is a woman, of course, verse 1, but she's not from Rome. We'll talk about her more in the next point. Some of the other women that you might not notice because their names are unfamiliar, uh, Prisca, verse 4, referred to elsewhere as Priscilla. Mary, of course, well, you can see that one, verse 6. Junia, verse 7. Tryphena and Tryphosa, verse 12, those are both women. Persis, in verse 12. Rufus's mother, obviously. Uh, Julia, you got that one, 15. And Nereus's sister, also in verse 15. We're going to look at the impact of some of these women on the church in the next point. So, okay, both men and women. What may be less obvious is that there's both Jew and Gentiles, yeah, okay, we knew that from earlier in the letter, but, but here, Paul refers more than once to his kinsmen. That likely is how he's referring to his fellow Jews, which would imply that many, if not all the rest of them, were Gentiles. And scholars note here that the names in the list reflect Greek and Latin and specifically Roman origins. Persis, uh, the, the woman I mentioned before, may imply that she's originally from Persia, um, some, some of these had been in Asia before, Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Some of these names would be typical for slaves, others for freedmen and freedwomen, that is, former slaves who would obtain their freedom. And also implied in here is that there's some folks in the fellowship of believers who were wealthy, too. Uh, some were able to host the congregations in their homes. Uh, in verse 23, Paul mentions Erastus, who's with him, not in Rome, as the city treasurer. So some people of position and influence in the community where they live. So both the believers in Rome, as well as Paul's ministry partners, reflect many different kinds of people. We've got men and women, we've got Jew and Gentile, slave and free, wealthy and working class, and what brings them together is Jesus. Jesus is their source of dignity, Verse 10, one is, he describes one as approved in Christ. 
or verse 13, another one is described as chosen in Christ. There's something special about you, and it's about what Jesus has done in your life. Jesus is the one who they look to as their authority, the one who sets the agenda for what they do. He calls, he says, uh, verse 3, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Verse 9, a fellow worker in Christ. Workers in the Lord, verse 12. Worked hard in the Lord, verse 12. Jesus is their basis for unity. Not only is is one described as my beloved in the Lord, verse 8, Paul also tells the believers to welcome Phoebe in the Lord. Tertius greets the Romans in the Lord. And if Jesus is how they came together, he's significant to their history as a people. Verse 5, Eponidas was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Again, Asia Minor, Turkey. Uh, Verse 7, Andronicus and Junia, well known to the apostles in Christ before me. They were believers even before I was, Paul says. We got some history here. So think about our own fellowship. Does our fellowship include many different people who are one in Christ? Uh, Yes, there are. Now, I hope you understand. We We don't do diversity around here for the sake of diversity itself, diversity, period. But we do think about the makeup of our church because we want to make sure that it's Jesus is what, that's who brings us together. Different people all kinds of different backgrounds, uh, different cultures and classes. If, see, if we're all identical in terms of race or politics or being middle class, we could, uh, and, and we could chalk that, I mean, we, we are pretty, pretty uh, similar in that respect in, in many of those ways. And we could chalk that up to, well, well that's our community. Our community is, is like that, but we have to be careful. We have to be careful. Have we assumed that it's only our kind of people that fit here? Oh, that's not what we want. Are, are we, are, and we have to ask ourselves, are we reaching out to those who are different than we are? May God save us from, from being a church that gathers around, what, that what unites us is race or class or politics rather than Jesus. God help us not to be that. What if people knew that they were welcome here, not because we just want some tokens to, to prove that we're diverse, no, You're welcome here. Whoever you are, you're welcome here because Jesus welcomed us by God's grace. And a beautiful kaleidoscope of people brings him more glory. We we say to whoever walks in the door, you're loved because Jesus loved us and laid down his life for us, and that's what we want for you. This is the church. Men and women, different cultures and classes and accents, some young in faith, some who've been a believer longer than most of the rest of us, all kinds of people with Jesus at the center. This, the gospel is what we have in common so that we know each other, as he refers here to, as brothers and sisters and saints, people made holy through Jesus Christ. That's part one, for all those in Christ. Part two, who serve him well. Our mission requires hard work, shared resources, and personal risk. Now, I could tell you that there are nine different people in this chapter described either as a servant of the church, a worker, a fellow worker, or those who worked hard. But let's just zoom in on just a couple of examples right there at the beginning of the chapter. So verses 1 and 2, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sancre that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself 
as well. Uh, Sencre was an eastern port city right near Corinth. This is where Paul is believed to have written this letter. Um, and these verses seem to imply that Phoebe is the one carrying the letter. Uh, Phoebe, come, he's come from where I'm at. I, I commend her to you. Uh, she, you know, she's, she's arrived. You're, you're now reading this letter that she carried, and I commend her to you. Help her along the way. Uh, and wow, from Paul to do that, he's got a lot of trust in her. She's apparently a wealthy woman. As it says, she was a patron of many, meaning she had the means, the, the, the financial means to support several missionaries in some degree or another. Perhaps she could afford to travel uh, to Rome, and that's why she's carrying the letter. Maybe she was going there anyway on some kind of business. When Paul calls her a servant of the church, that word could just be a general word, a generic word for a, a worker. Uh, it also could be specific as a deaconess, someone holding the, an office in the church. Either way, he's not just describing her role or what she does, he's describing her faithfulness. And then, then you've got beyond that, there's the married couple in verse 3, greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risked their necks for my life, to whom I not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Now, maybe some of you know Prisca and Aquila, or also known as Priscilla and Aquila. Maybe she's like, call me Prisca. It sounds too cute when we rhyme all the time. You know, I don't know. But Prisca and Aquila, they get mentioned in Acts, uh, 1 Corinthians, 2 Timothy. Some years before this, they had lived in Rome, we learn in Acts 18, but then they had to leave when Emperor Claudius expelled the Jews from the city for a time. That's when they met their fellow Jew and tent maker, Paul, in Corinth. They followed him to Ephesus, where the, they also had a church meet in their house, like they do here in Rome. And at some point, obviously, they, they returned to Rome, and, and they're still at it. They, they've got another uh, group of believers meeting in their house. Paul calls both of them his fellow workers. And that's not reading into it to say that it was indeed both of them, both this husband and wife, who were fellow workers. Because back in Acts 18, after Paul had moved on from Ephesus to another place. We read in Acts 18, 26, there was a man named Apollos. Apollos began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. This was a husband and wife team who knew the word, knew the gospel, and were investing in the lives of other, other gifted believers to help them keep going in the right direction, and to be able to enhance and improve their own ministry. That's, that's, that's quite a statement of this couple. And wouldn't you love, back to here to Romans 16, wouldn't you love to know how they risked their necks for Paul's life? I mean, what, what's that story? You're not going to tell us about that? Of course, Priscilla and Aquila were there. They could tell the story, but uh, maybe that's what happened. After we read, the, they're looking like, what? 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 What did you, when did you guys do this? What's he talking about? Did they serve as some kind of decoy uh, while Paul escaped the authorities? Uh, did they have to leave town and abandon their tent-making shop to, to be able to, uh, to, to, keep, to keep going, avoid uh, some kind of uh, deathly persecution? Uh, I don't know, but here's the thing. These are not casual supporters of their friends Paul of their friend Paul. The same goes for Andronicus and Junia, verse 7, my fellow prisoners. 
We don't know if that exactly means that they were in jail at the same time as Paul because they were persecuted for their ministry or just that they, they had their own stint of suffering in jail for the gospel. And so, hey, like, hey, we've got that in common, uh, my, my fellow prisoners. Uh, again, either way, you know these are people who are committed to Christ. There are two other people I want to look at specifically in this section that show up on the, uh, something of the other end of the spectrum, not quite so dramatic as risking their necks, but, you know, verse 22 talks about Tertius who wrote this letter, meaning he was the one who wrote it down as Paul dictated it. You can see at the end of 1 Corinthians, another example where Paul says, hey, I'm writing this line in my own hand, meaning the rest of the letter was taken down by someone who was doing uh, dictation or someone was the stenographer. Tertius here is the, the does, does he have good handwriting? Is he just skilled? I don't know what his gifts were. But I just pointed out as another example of a specific kind of service. He wasn't probably an upfront kind of guy, but he was, maybe, maybe he was quiet. Maybe he just, he just had this ability to serve. And he used it uh, as an incredible gift to this missionary. Uh, maybe not risking his neck, but a pretty important job, don't you think, that we have this letter? And then verse 13, Rufus's mother. Uh, verse 13 again. Um, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Doesn't even mention her name, but that's quite a compliment. What, what, did, what did she do, do you think? Did, did she make sure that Paul got some chicken soup when he had the sniffles? I, I don't know. Did, what, did, did, did she just offer some tender encouragement when Paul was tired? It was something motherly. Whatever it was, it was a a precious gift to this missionary. You can't read this passage then, uh, these examples and and others that certainly stories behind the names that we just don't even know, you can't read this passage and assume that the gospel mission is just one gifted evangelist, uh, the Apostle Paul, working alone on the celebrity circuit of big platform speaking engagements. It was work. And it was hard work. And he did not, he could not do it without others. Some who supported them, him from their means, others who did whatever they could to advance the mission. Many worked hard, some faced danger right beside him. That's the point here. Our mission requires hard work, shared resources, and personal risk. I wonder if you've heard, uh, talked about in the news, social media, about the, the phenomenon of quiet quitting, if you've heard that phrase being thrown around. Apparently, it's a growing trend in our country. Fewer and fewer workers are willing to go above and beyond on the job to do whatever it takes to get something done right or to serve the customer. So Gallup, uh, the, you know, the pollsters, say this describes half of the American workforce. From their research, their polls, half of the American workforce are, in their words, not engaged. They're they're people who just do the minimum requirement and are psychologically detached from their job, which is just a big way to say they don't care. (laughs) They're not feeling it. And there are all kinds of reasons for that, I'm sure. Some are going to blame the younger generation. Some are going to blame the extreme pressures of the last couple of years, or just say that Hard work doesn't seem to be rewarded anymore. Why, why put in the extra effort? Here's why I bring this up. It's not to talk about the workforce. I'm just saying all around us is the temptation to do the minimum. Why bother? Who cares? 
Why should I give any extra effort if there's nothing in it for me? And as bad as that might be for the American economy, that attitude, that outlook is deadly for the life of the church, for the mission of the church. And this passage shows in the, in the mission to take the gospel of Christ to all people, there must be effort, there will be cost, and there may be risk. So who's in? Who wants to get in on this? I mean, we need missionaries and pastors, yes, but they need supporters and fellow workers, men and women who work hard and risk their necks if need be. Now, I thank God that there are people like that in our church. There's a lot of pastors out there who uh, don't have a lot of support. I mean, churches, congregations who think, well, we pay him, like like he should be doing all the work. He should should be doing the ministry. Um, I'm thankful that I don't have that attitude among us, that there are a lot of people who want to come alongside, like, we want to be a part of this work. Um, Let's do this. Uh, If you don't have fellow workers, you're going to burn out. You're going to give up. If you are not a fellow worker, a worker that says, yeah, I'm on the team. Sign me up. Let's go. Let's, Let's do this together. If you're not a fellow worker, why not? For all who are in Christ, who serve him well, part three, Show appreciation and affection. Our partnership is strengthened when we recognize each contribution. Our partnership is strengthened when we recognize each contribution. Now, do do you look at this passage and do you really think that all this, you know, greet so-and-so, greet him, greet her, do you think it's just, um, you know, hey, tell Andronicus I said hey. You know, is that, is that all that Paul is doing here in this part of the letter? What's the point of telling them to say hi to those that are, they're already with? This is about recognizing and honoring those believers. It's about strengthening their appreciation for one another, and it's about strengthening their relationship, their partnership with Paul. That's what it's about. So now, don't hear me saying that, that he's just buttering them up or, you know, kind of working the crowd. Hey, great job. Like, yeah, you out there. That's, you know, th- thanks. Um, he's sincere when he refers to, verse 5, my beloved Eponidas, or 8, Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord, or 9, my beloved Stachys, 12, the beloved Persis. Of course, he feels that way. Not just because, well, you know, Christians are supposed to love one another. No, it's that they've worked and they've sacrificed and suffered in the cause of Christ together. That, that'll, that'll stir your affection and your love for your brothers and sisters. Now, hardly at the same level of, of risking your necks, but, but I can look around. And I can just even, our most recent examples of things like this in our congregation, yesterday morning where we had 14 of our people helping to unload the U-Haul at John and Marissa Foss's home uh, in, in Oregon. There, there's, there was three generations from one family that was there, Mark Johnson, son-in-law Matt Dusing, and his sons Josiah and Micah. Three generations helping out at that day. And when, you, and when you're carrying boxes and dodging raindrops, which we were, and eating donuts, uh, you know, that, that brings you together, you know? It's, it's a beautiful thing. You can't help but appreciate the folks you're serving with. Or this past Monday night, our our Trunk or Treat event was so well organized, creatively planned by Joyce Long and her outreach ministry team, food provided, prepared for uh, by Jim and Kim Kaufman. Uh, Our youngest volunteer, at least that I can remember, was 14, 
and our oldest volunteer turns 80 next month. Over the past two months of Sunday mornings, as Jody Rosanna's got Kingdom Kids going again, not just restarted, but renovated and rejuvenated with with some teachers and helpers. I know of at least a few who this is their first time to serve in a ministry within our church. That's true of the teacher over there this morning. First time, a, a newer person to our church and the first time they're serving in our church. On this Sunday morning, today, as we face, well, I guess I could say the, the second belt tightening that I can remember in the 20 years that I've been here as a church, I as a senior pastor have someone more senior than I, so that I'm not the only one that has to talk about hard things, and the only one, not the only one that, that gets to speak hope to you. I appreciate Chester, who also, like Scott, were elders here before me. Not quite old enough to be my dad, but still like a father. Using the words of verses 3 and 4, I can say that these people are my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who, okay, didn't exactly risk their necks, but they have given a part of their life for others, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the church gives thanks as well. Do we say that? Do we agree? Yeah. We are blessed. When you've got history together, when you've got a track record of faithful service, you can speak of others in the way Paul does of Phoebe. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church. And he's saying it's only right then that you welcome her in a way worthy of the saints. That's, that sounds like a good welcome, uh, right? A way worthy of the saints. Help her in whatever way she may need. And in a way that seems to bookend this whole section, verses 1 to 16, he mentions the saints again at the end of 15 and then greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, pay attention. He didn't say, hey, say hi to these individuals. Give everyone a kiss for me. Uh, as they passed around this letter among various congregations in Rome and as they gathered for worship, for fellowship around this word that we've been gathered around, he says, hey, show some affection to one another. Make it tangible. Make it real. Let them know that you love each other. Now, some of you are like, does he, does he mean really? Do he mean really? Really? Kiss? Are we supposed to do that? Well, you, and now you look at the cross references here. You, if you have a Bible that has a little letter and the, the references in the side, yeah, there are four or five more verses in the New Testament that talk about this kiss. So, I mean, it's not, uh, you know, it's not a passing uh, one verse thing. Do, do we, we have to take it literally, or is it, you know, just like a European thing? That's, you know, back, that's where he was at that time. Well, one scholar from a generation or two ago, John Murray, said this about about this verse. He says, Paul characterizes the kiss as holy and thus distinguishes it from all that is erotic or sensual. Okay, you knew that part. Um, This is not weird like that. But then Murray continues. He says, it betrays an unnecessary reserve, if not loss of the ardor of, of the church's first love when the holy kiss is conspicuous by its absence in the Western church. Now, let me translate that for you. In other words, it's one thing to say, well, you know, kissing is not, that's not something we do in our culture, so we don't do it. But if we don't have, here's the thing, what this commentator was trying to get at. If we don't have some kind of tangible expression of our love, yes, not just words, yes, a pat on the back, 
handshakes and hugs, or maybe that thing that guys do when they kind of handshake and then pull them in and kind of do one thing, side hugs, whatever, however you do it, uh, if we're not expressing our love, maybe, Murray says, maybe we're, maybe we're too uptight. Maybe we're, maybe we're holding back the, the kind of love that we should be expressing in the life of the church. Or maybe we've just lost the passion, not just for Christ and the gospel, but for those for whom Christ died. Do we, do we love the brothers and sisters? Do we love the saints? Do we welcome one another in a way that is worthy of the saints? When somebody comes in the door, and you, we, we welcome everyone, yes, but do you welcome someone like, hey, you're a brother or sister in Christ. You are one for whom Christ died. I'm so glad you're a part of us. We, those are words we need to say. Those are things we need to express. So I'm not necessarily expecting a bunch of kissing to go on right after the service here. Um, but let's, let's be a place where the love, of love for Christ, love for the gospel, love for people shows that it shows. Show it in our hard work and sacrificial service. Turn around and show it in your love for each other. That's the not-to-be-missed message in this easy-to-skip-over part of Paul's letter. Show appreciation and affection for all those in Christ who serve him well. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you for babies. Give us more babies in this church, oh God. Give us all kinds of people, people with names that we don't know how to pronounce. Give us people that you say, are precious because you have made them and you have redeemed them. That's us. That's all of us. God help us. We can't do it alone, any one of us, and we can't do it. We surely, surely, certainly can't do it without you. God, you've given us a reason to gather. You've given us a reason to work. You've given us a reason to give. We, you've given us a reason to lay down our lives if need be. And so, God, I pray that you'd give us then not just a sense of, not, not a, certainly not a sense of fear of what the cost may be, but a sense of joy that you are worth it all. God, impress us with all that you are for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.